Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener on our private feed where you'll have ad-free episodes and join us in Zoom meetups to meet other listeners of our podcast community. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes. So I sent in a letter, literally with nothing else. I mailed a letter that said, hey, my name is Annie. Like, I applied to your school. Um, I'm going to be successful no matter what. But I think you made a big mistake in not accepting me. And the day that I graduated high school, they emailed me, you're in. My name is Spree Devora host of The Women in Tech Show. The show means a lot to me. The reason why I wanted to create The Women in Tech Show is I wanted to create a positive piece of content, something where people can listen and say, if she can do it, so can I. I call it actionable empowerment. Every single episode, you'll hear the story of a fantastic woman in tech, from engineers to founders to investors to journalists to designers, all sorts of different females in tech who have thrived. I want to share their stories with you so that you can know what resources, mentors, and life situations they accessed in order to get to where they are today. Enjoy. Welcome back to the Women in Tech podcast here in Austin, Texas. I love this town. I've been here, I think, nine times or something like that. I am guilty of going to South by Southwest, one of the most incredible tech conferences in the world. But this time I get to be in Austin at non-conference uh, season, and I've never loved it more. I I, I'm sorry for everybody in L.A., but I think I like Austin a little bit better than Los Angeles. Hello, Annie. Hello. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the Women in Tech podcast. So go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Yeah. Hi, my name is Annie Klomhouse. I'm the vice president of operations at New Knowledge. Uh, New Knowledge is a cybersecurity company that focuses or protects companies um, from the viral spread of disinformation. So we work with brands and protect them from manipulated, uh, coordinated attacks across social media. How did you get into this? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I was one of those people that majored in something maybe not practical, but ended up coming full circle to be, you know, my true passion and something I get to focus on every day. So I went to the University of California at Berkeley and I majored in political science and history. So, you know, what are you going to do when you graduate with those degrees if you don't want to be a lawyer? Um, You go work in cybersecurity? Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) We're getting there. Um, so I went into finance for three years. That seems like the most practical thing to do after getting yeah. those degrees. Um, and through my experience working in finance, I founded my own company called Bell Gray, which is curated work clothes for women. It was the idea nice. that, yeah, that once you outgrow Banana Republic and Taylor, where do you shop? If yeah. you're an investment banker or a lawyer or a woman that's wearing a suit every day, yeah. there's not any options. So, Wait, what happened to that? Yeah. Um, so I did that for two years. How long ago was this? Um, about... Eight months ago. So I oh, just, this just is pretty recent. Yeah. yeah. So I did that for two years. It was doing really well. Um, we had a bunch of customers and sales and employees. Um, it was tech-enabled retail. So right. we had a platform where you, we'd source from department stores and you could, you know, buy everything on Belgrade and check out there. Um, and it would all come from different places. Right. So kind of 
that was going really well. But then the platform that enabled that technology went out of business pretty much overnight. Oh, so what? had to shut down. Wait, so this is kind of like when someone builds their business on top of a platform like Facebook or something. And then all of a sudden Facebook changes how they function. And just overnight, you can't exist anymore. The features that you had one day disappear the next day. Kind of, yeah. That was the the runway or the idea of it, um, to have an MVP out there. It wasn't yeah. perfect. It was never the end goal. It was yeah. just to get enough customers and traction. you had the traction. Mm-hmm. But oh, not enough so to justify. Hard. I mean, with retail, it's really risky. You don't want to you know, raise a million dollars and yeah. buy clothes for one season and not sell that one season and right. you're done. So yeah. this was kind of taking the risk out of that way and yeah. lowering the barrier to entry, which is amazing. Yeah. So without the technology, we couldn't even have started in the first place. Yeah. So I'm not really that bitter. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was just poor timing. If it had shut down like a year later, what we totally could have justified and had the data to right. do an informed buy, um, but just didn't make sense with timing. But how interesting, you went straight back into a normal job. Kind of. <laughs> I mean, was that a hard decision? Um, Did you so, sit there thinking about it? I definitely, with what I wanted to do next, I yeah. knew I wanted to do something really mission aligned. Like what I loved about doing Belgrade was I was really passionate. I woke up every day and I was like, how can I empower this investment banker, yeah. this lawyer, this woman that, you know, may or may not be the only woman in the room a lot of the times so yeah. to feel like a total badass. Yeah. Like that really motivated me and I was really excited. Um to serve that person. Right. So when I was looking for my next kind of career move, I knew that I wanted something really mission aligned and mission driven. And that's yeah. how I found new knowledge um, because what they're doing is also changing the world with a different customer. But I have that same feeling of waking up oh. every day and getting to make the world a better place. So that's kind of what how I found new knowledge. No, totally. My team and I talk about that all the time. I, we are LA Tech, my company in Los Angeles. We're so focused on culture and culture plays a huge part in attracting People were the, like, you were attracted not necessarily to cybersecurity. You were attracted to the culture of the company providing the value of cybersecurity. Yeah, and we yeah. get to work on really cool things. Um, our CEO before New Knowledge was advising the State Department on how ISIS recruits on Twitter. What? Yeah, so stopping that. What? So we work with brands as well as um, different political companies and help them understand when they're being targeted by trolls or people that are really trying to take down their brand for yeah. like a malicious reason. Yeah. So we get to kind of be the guardians of democracy. <laughs> and how did you get your start? Like, did you have technology in your house growing up or or how did when did you first fall in love with technology? I think I was always just an entrepreneur type personality. When I was little, I wanted to be president when right. I grew up. So yeah. <laughs> or the boss or you something. President. <laughs> it's not too late for that. Uh-huh. Um so I think that I always just had um, – I moved around a lot growing up and I kind of had that just jump right in and right. take risk mentality since I was, you know, two years old. Right. So I knew that I would be successful in startups and always kind of liked that idea. Um, and yeah. <laughs> and like I don't – I think you make it sound so easy to go from having your own company to jumping into like a normal job regardless that the culture and the mission is amazing. <laughs> I, I mean what kind of questions did you ask yourself or or was it really that easy for you where you were just able to jump lifestyles? No, it was not that easy. <laughs> um, I mean it's hard letting go of your own company. It took a while to wind down um, and really like let it go and still yeah. I joke if I won the lottery tomorrow I'd probably still do it again. Yeah. Um, but – I mean, I did think about, you know, do I want to go to a more established company, especially after coming in from finance, which is very established and very right. large and bureaucratic. But there was a lot that I didn't like about that. 
But it was a struggle of, you know, do I want to get on this crazy roller coaster again or do I want to just kind of have a normal job? Yeah. Um, And I thought about it for a while because it's, you know, you kind of you get burned after, you know, failing a company. But um, you get burned even when you're not failing. It's exhausting being an entrepreneur. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So I think um, it was a difficult decision and I did have multiple offers um, on the table, but ultimately I couldn't turn down something that was just mission aligned and yeah. just changing the world for a stable job. And I've definitely made the right decision because I still have that energy and I wake up really, every, really excited every day and passionate about what I'm doing. And I think that would be yeah the hardest thing to not have. Which says so much about new knowledge. What about, uh, now it's called, it, your startup was called Bell Gray. Mm-hmm. What about Bell Gray? Like what did you learn that you're, you were able to take to new, n- new knowledge to be an even more effective teammate there? Yeah. I mean, everything pretty much. I think coming out of, I think I had like the best combination of backgrounds from like a corporate job as well as a startup. Right. Because half of our company now is like NSA veterans and the other half are software engineers. Yeah. So it's a really good mix of kind of, I think, my backgrounds as well. Right. Um, but I mean, I learned how to do everything for Belgrade. It, that's the fun part about being an entrepreneur. You get to learn about sales. You get to learn about marketing. You get to learn about recruiting. You get to learn about finance. You get to learn about, you know, everything touches right. you. And that's what my job is now as the VP of operations. I get to have my hand in every single department. And if I hadn't done it and also just learned, you know, I think the biggest thing I learned about starting Belgrade was you should never pay someone to do something yeah. if you can at least try and do it yourself first. So that's like a really good lesson. You know, if you think like, oh, I don't know how to make, you know, graphic assets, like just give it a go. See if you can figure it out. Right. Google it. Use Canva. (laughs) Use Canva. Like there are (laughs) tools out there that empower non-professionals and it kind of gives you that like mentality that it doesn't always have to be 100 percent perfect um, if you're doing kind of everything and you're a journalist role like me, as long as you're moving the company forward every day. That's the most important thing you can be doing. And that's what I learned at Belgrade that I take to my job now. What's so interesting, though, is, I mean, in the startup efficiency kind of movement, it's about delegate, delegate, delegate. So when do you make that choice between my time, even though I could do it, shouldn't be invested this way versus it's more cost efficient or better for the overall picture for my time to be invested doing it myself? How do you make that choice? Which ones do you keep? Which ones do you let go? Yeah, I mean, I think delegating is hard. And I know, like, I think it's stereotypically that women have a more difficult time delegating than men. Yeah. <laughs> um, it is definitely something that's really important to scaling. So I yeah. kind of like have to remind myself that it's important to delegate like all the time. It doesn't yeah. just happen naturally. I'm not just like a shove it down the road type of person. So yeah. it's definitely just like a conscious thing that's in my head all the time. Right. I'm like, don't always have to do this yourself. There are tools and there's other people out there. Yeah. Um you know what I realized just now as talking what an entrepreneurial superpower is? Never occurred to me. You've probably heard this before, but I just thought of it now. The best entrepreneur is probably someone who's entirely lazy. <laughs> like, probably. Like I completely want to be an entrepreneur, but I am just lazy and I'm not going to not be lazy. So I'm just going to delegate the whole thing. <laughs> Maybe after you have customers and, and money. Yeah. <laughs> it's easy to be lazy, but I don't think that's a good quality one you're <laughs> starting a company from scratch maybe you can ceo is lazy yeah um what what uh it's very funny what's your day-to-day look like you're the vp of operations yeah so so 
wake up super early. I try and like I'm super organized person, so I like spend every night and every morning going through my to do list and like reorganizing, reprioritizing, really? thinking about what I can delegate. She was early too, you guys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm just an early person, which is nice. <laughs> I appreciate it because it throws me off on the schedule when someone's late. So it was great. Yeah, but yeah, I kind of take that hour early in the morning to think about kind of the priorities every single day and making sure I'm spending my day most efficiently. Right. And then honestly, I'm in meetings all day. Yeah. So starting at nine until five, I'm pretty much in meetings. Yeah. Um, meeting with the leadership or meeting with different, you know, different teams and like figuring out how they're running their teams and thinking about right. how they could be more efficient. Um, and then I kind of start my to-do list and my tasks at like five yeah. o'clock. And I'll usually do that till about nine. And then Hang out with friends. (laughs) I was just going to say, one, I love that you balance yourself in that way. Um, That's something that's really difficult for me and something I'm consistently working on. But uh, let's talk about meetings for a little bit because some companies, I won't mention who, are notorious for having useless meetings. And then I find sometimes that meetings are where that creative brainstorming happens to move things forward. But then you have to have an execution plan immediately thereafter. Um, is part of your job overseeing the meetings so you, you have to do it or how what's your take on an efficient meeting? I'm actually a big proponent of agendas and to do lists and action items. I'm yeah. always like we're whiteboarding during meetings. We're making sure there's like clear action items afterwards. Yeah. I think my biggest problem is I'm like too like by the book. And I, yeah. you know, it's like I need to stop sometimes and be like more creative because I'm so execution focused. Yeah. And it's like, OK, some times people just need to talk and like let them talk. And I'm like, no, yeah. let's go. What does this lead to? And what are we doing? And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I think I kind of it's the opposite problem for me. I need to like slow down and brainstorm more. I would I would love your take on this. So how many people typically are in your meetings? Is it like eight people? Is it two people? Is it 15 or 50? It's usually on average. four people on average. And are they the same four people or always different? Always different. So I would love to talk about the personalities in meetings and how everyone has a different one, a different personality. I mean, as a leader, what do you do to kind of navigate around communication styles depending on who you're speaking with? And I'm just thinking about my own meetings and sometimes I'm just like, that's not how I would handle this meeting. And I'm feeling like this 15 minutes isn't really a good use of time, but it seems really important to that person. How do you set boundaries within meetings? And yeah. Yeah, I, I think that types. is an important thing. That, the fact that you're even aware of that already makes like you probably better at running meetings than most <laughs> people. <laughs> um, but I think just really being aware of the different personality types and knowing, okay, if this person likes to talk and likes to be heard, like just for me, I've like I just put an agenda in advance and kind of think about like, okay, if this person just wants to like touch base or check in, like that's what they need to do their yeah. job more efficiently and better. And I need to empower them. And I kind of just see myself as just as long as I'm moving the company forward yeah. in any way, whatever that looks like, it's productive. Yeah. So I kind of just take that mindset. If like someone needs to talk for 15 minutes just to catch up and that's part of their meeting that they need. Yeah. Like everybody has different needs yeah. and you just have to be really aware of the, yeah, the different personality types. Yeah. We take a personality test at um, at New Knowledge yeah. and share that kind of those findings with different people. And I always try and keep that in mind when I'm talking to people. Like some people just like to be heard. People know that I like to not necessarily talk that much. So they're not going to like it kind of goes both ways. And it's interesting that you say that because someone else who does talk a lot may interpret you're not talking as something. So to have the awareness that everybody communicates in a different style doesn't necessarily have a significance on the value of the intel being shared. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, I remember 
when I just graduated college and knew nothing about the working world or all those yeah. lessons you learned kind of in that first year, like how to write an email, how yeah. to be an adult. Um, <laughs> one of the cool things that the firm I was working at did um, was we, we did take personality tests and then we talked about how certain personalities see other personalities. Right. And I am, I think I was 90 or 100% extroverted. So I'm very extroverted. And um, there was someone on my team who I thought wasn't very nice. Yeah. And I couldn't figure out why this person didn't like me or what was going on. Yeah. And I just, I didn't get it. Yeah. Um, they never wanted to talk. And so I took the test and I was sitting next to this person and they were, you know, 0% extrovert or 100% introverted. Right. And it said like, oh, extroverts typically view introverts as standoffish and cold. And I was like, oh, they're not actually mean. I just don't understand their personality yeah. type. Like they're actually just shy. Yeah. And like as a 22 year old, that kind of like, clicked yeah. click clicked and yeah, it all yeah. kind of came into focus and i was like okay well it's not like just because people are you know a certain way it's probably yeah. how i'm viewing them as someone who is the way i am yeah. so i've definitely taken that with me and that was an interesting lesson to learn those clicks are the best oh my gosh i <laughs> Fears, i picture like when going the into gear place. yeah i'm like oh yeah it's getting better <laughs> um let's talk more about new knowledge and like who are the customers that they serve yeah, so we have like Fortune 100 customers across all different in, all different industry verticals like entertainment, finance, agriculture, energy, um, and then as well as like political clients, which makes sense given the nature of fake news and all that's going on that right now. And just to um, reinforce, like, what is the value that you're doing for these clients? So there's so much out there on the internet. Like a human eye can't really determine like what is going on or yeah. understand, you know, if you're an executive at one of these large companies, yeah. like you can't really understand like what's real and what's fake, especially in this day and age. Yeah. Like as we're looking at online, it's just not the same. So we have a technology way of looking at it as opposed to a human eye, kind of removing that human eye aspect and crunching like all the giant data out there. Right. And then you can say like, okay, this movement is really easy to see is, is not grassroots. Like these aren't your fans. Like don't listen to these people. Um, because this is affecting, you know, wow. corporate strategy. If you see a hundred thousand people protesting your brand, like yeah. that's like, oh shit, we should pay attention to that. Um, but if, if you have a company like New Knowledge, I can tell you right away, like in real time, like, no, that's fake. That's, those are all right. fake accounts. And that's someone trying to push their agenda yeah. and trying to influence your brand. Like that's a really scary world to live in that people are reacting. You know, like, the way I like to think about it is everybody has, you know, in America, like we all have the right to one voice. It's so important to our democracy and freedom of speech yeah. is the most important thing ever. You don't have the right to an army of bots to shape public opinion. And that's really scary when one person can amplify their voice like that wow. and a human eye can't detect what's going on. Whoa. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Now I'll be all paranoid the rest of the day. I mean, I get really <laughs> paranoid. Now, I'm completely off social media <laughs> since starting. Are you? I am. Wait, tell me more about that. Wait, so you had Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all these things, and now you don't have those? Mm-hmm. I don't. No, I for real? Yeah, for real. Like, you deleted them? I've deleted them. <laughs> Let's get it. Why? Well, Other than, like, it's great to have your life back, but, like, why? Well, I was getting paranoid, kind of like what you were saying. Like, the second, like, you start to, like, believe these a lot of things that are like could be real people aren't real people and yeah there's no way a human eye can understand that it's really yeah. like a technological thing and once you plug in the technology it's like so clear like what's a human what's not a human um but i i think i deleted them i mean first of all because i was paranoid because of new knowledge yeah <laughs> and all the things that we've that i've learned about yeah. the the internet and the dark web since right. since starting um but also just i think that was it was kind of like a personal thing with yeah. with work getting so 
you know, crazy and fast paced. Like I, I'm all, we were always checking our emails, like checking, checking, yeah. checking, checking. And social media is just another thing that you have to like check, 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 check. Completely agree. And it's like a to-do list thing. Yeah. Like a compulsion. So yeah. just removing it, it's you, and now I take like when I'm sitting somewhere and I'm not doing work emails or I'm like waiting for a friend who's five minutes late, like yeah. normally I would just open up social media yeah. and look at it. But now I just sit there and I just like look out the window. <laughs> so it's like you're living in the eighties. Yeah, it's like so retro. <laughs> so retro. Um, the thing that I'm, I'm, I'm processing, though, is and what's so frustrating to me. So, of course, having a podcast about tech and needing to use all the social media channels even to, like, get the podcast out there. Right. What's frustrating to me is that, like, our status is defined now by social media, which is like even a false status because you could have bots by your status. Yeah. But yet a status where there's things that you can't even get into something unless you have like a hundred thousand influencers uh, following mm-hmm. or something. And I hate that kind of power mm-hmm. or f- like false value or maybe it is value. I don't know. I just don't like it. Well, and we then you're we can't understand it. We can't quantify. It. I just think what is the value? I just think it sucks that like someone's not valuable unless they have like a ton of people following them on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Like that's just bullshit. But but in the same extent, that is how our society is moving forward. So even though I'm absolutely envious of you not having any of them, like I'm the guy, I'm the type of girl that I backpacked without a computer or phone for five months. Like I'm super into like no social, no technology. But I also understand that it's so this important. For, yeah. Right and now. so how do you do that? Like, are you and I hope I'm not planting paranoid thoughts but like are you nervous like later like will you need those things again to move forward or you're just like i'm not really too concerned in my career um yeah for my career no i mean you know i just have that's actually like the biggest difference i think with belgrade and new knowledge belgrade i was just gonna say even belgrade Belgrade, i was all over social media all the time totally totally know what you mean yeah value of influence and i was just you know having to be obsessed with that world you had to to. it wasn't a choice that's what i'm saying and i wanted to like delete at them but it's just like i couldn't that would be brand suicide yeah Uh, that (laughs) yeah but luckily with new knowledge because we have it's a different kind of branding and messaging yeah we don't need to engage with a massive audience yeah um we know we're mainly talking to execs and execs aren't checking our social media page. So it is it is freeing. And that is nice. Um, but I think and then personally for my career, I don't think that having a social media following gets you really any value. Yeah. But, um, it is a, it is a luxury that you get to have at certain jobs, but not yeah. all jobs. I mean, yeah. your job, you could never just unplug. Maybe yeah. you can start the trend. So I do <laughs> I do try like I do little things like um, I have a Facebook account that's just for business. So if I want to deactivate my personal account, my team can lo- still log in because, you know, Facebook connects everything to your personal profile. So I've with intent always made sure that I can unplug if I want to. But, yeah, like the larger that we get, the harder it is. Yeah, I don't even remember how we got on this in the first place. Yeah, but um, it, and I, and I, I do, because you were talking about yeah. an army of bots, and you were talking about <laughs> how like how yeah how because of this army of bots and the power that like malicious social has, you're like I just deactivated everything, and I'm just like oh my god, I'm so jealous, but I don't think it's possible in for most of us. Yeah, it's definitely deactivating is not the answer. That's just that was more for personal reasons, but right. um. It, it is true and it's, it's here to stay. It's not going away. I don't think that. Um, 
and I but I do think that there has has to be companies like new knowledge and people will pop up to help yeah. understand all that's going on in this world. But yeah. I mean it it is it is pretty scary and it is a reality that we live in and you know the way we talk about what we do is kind of like remember when the internet first happened and there was fraud and that was absolutely terrifying and people yeah. had couldn't understand it at all like the right. concept of fraud you know someone stealing your credit card online yeah. was just really scary to most Americans that didn't understand yeah. even how the internet worked yeah and that kind of felt probably like how disinformation and fake news feels right now you know there was no norms around it nobody understood it there was no laws yeah. um, and then slowly we started to understand like it became like a, a social norm like you understand what it means you know cybersecurity firms popped right. up now every now every large firm has a cybersecurity yeah like office which they didn't have before right. and there was kind of created new norms and then legislation was written and people kind of wrap their head around yeah. it so i think that's what's going to happen with disinformation on social media across all the platforms is you know companies will will start to understand it more as, as we talk about it more as a society yeah um there will eventually be legislation written around it we'll wrap our heads around it companies will now have new departments that focus on disinformation right. on social media and combating it the way same way we combat fraud yeah so I think the future isn't that scary. I just think we're in the intermediate time and private companies like New Knowledge yeah. are going to drive that change, not the government. It, it's interesting. Obviously, I'm just one girl and you work with like these huge companies. But I remember it was um, I think it was 2016 or something around there. This um, mainstream newspaper wrote about me without me knowing. And it was all made up. And it was the day that I realized the internet is fake. Like, and I was just like, wait, I know about this article because it's my life and it's not true. And I'm like, oh my gosh. I was like, what's the point of the internet? <laughs> I can't yeah. trust anything. Well, how do you defend yourself against that too? Especially when they have a large platform and if yeah. you don't have any yeah. social media followers. And luckily it wasn't <laughs> yeah. too bad and I knew yeah. it would fade. It wasn't a big deal at all. But I just, it was just like this really uncomfortable awareness how just I can't trust what I read online. And then imagine if you're someone with an agenda and you want to take down a certain movement or brand. Yeah. You just It's really easy to put an article out there, use a, a bot network to disseminate it, get that tr hashtag trending, and then a real reporter might see the hashtag trending, pick up on it, write about it, and it's become real news off something that one person can make up. Because uh, journalists aren't journalists anymore. Yeah. I, yeah, I think what they they also need new tools um, because they don't want to write about this stuff, and they're kind of they they would be super very embarrassed if they found out that they're writing about something that wasn't real news. But they cannot they cannot possibly know. Yeah, if that is real or not, if they I'm see not, you know yeah. hundreds of thousands of people talking about it, they don't know with an, with an eyeball that those are bots. It's not. Yeah. I don't really like blame them, but I think that they need tools to understand like what it is they're really writing about and yeah. looking at. Yeah. It's an interesting and, and world norms. we live in. Mm -hmm. uh, this new knowledge that we have. <laughs> um, I love to ask, what's your favorite book? Personal or professional or both? So I love all fantasy novels. Yeah. Um, our office is also very big into fantasy novels. Yeah. The, the Lord of the Rings Slack conversations we have go on for days. <laughs> So I think, I mean, I'm I'm pretty big fan of the Harry Potter series. Those are the, my yeah. favorite books. I've never read one. Really? Yeah. Can you believe it? <laughs> That's like probably. I ha thing. also haven't seen any of the movies. Oh my gosh! Yeah, it's like I'm not living in this world. Uh, what is your favorite like productivity software, or software, or app, or hmm. could be anything? My favorite one. 
I mean, I use a sauna right now a lot just for my own personal life of, and I think I could probably not live without that because writing a to-do list on a piece yeah. of paper would be a pain. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that you chose a sauna versus Trello versus Basecamp versus Infinity. <laughs> Infinity. Yeah. I just like a sauna. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. And um, what's one obstacle that you've overcome successfully and what did you learn from it? I think it's really, I know this is going to sound so cheesy, but embracing failure and being proud of it. Like I've had so many failures in my life. And that's one question I always ask when I'm interviewing people for any tech firm. It's like, tell me about a time that you failed and how did you handle it? Because I want them to not feel like I want them, first of all, to have a real story because if people say, well, I was going to be pre-med and then I switched to software engineering and I'm like, okay, that was not a failure. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think, I mean, one of the biggest like failures that I kind of defines like me and then the beginning of my career was my dream was to go to UC Berkeley. I don't know why, but I was just like, that was my dream school. I grew up in Hong Kong and Singapore and that uh, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for waiting till the end of the podcast interview to just throw that in. All right. Yeah. So I, I grew up in Asia and then I, for some reason, California and Berkeley was just like the end all be all. Yeah. That's where I wanted to go to school. Um, and I, I applied obviously from out of state. I wasn't from California, which at the time was very hard to get in and I got rejected. Yeah. And um, there is no wait list at Cal. It's just you're in or you're out and it's a giant bureaucratic school. And so I like read the fine print at the bottom, like the asterisk. If you feel like something has significantly changed about your life, you, you have the right to appeal your rejection. So I sent in a letter, literally with nothing else. I mailed yeah, I a letter that said, hey, my name is Annie. Like I applied to your school. Um, I'm going to be successful no matter what. But I think you made a big mistake in not accepting me. And the day that I graduated high school, they emailed me, you're in. (laughs) Get out. Just from one letter. And I think that was like a really important life lesson as far as like failure in business, which is if you really want something, like don't let no ever stop you. And sending something as like simple as a letter or appealing a rejection, whatever it is, you never know. Like what that could have, I mean, I didn't expect to get an offer. I was pretty surprised to be honest. Yeah. (laughs) But just as little gestures like that and just kind of having that attitude, I think, has always made me successful in what I want and pursuing that. And I think um, makes people in tech successful, just like embracing it. Like, yeah, I didn't get in. I'm like, that's not going to stop me from trying again. <laughs> I love that story. And I we can't wrap it up without me knowing how did you grow up in Asia? What was that about? <laughs> um, I was there for my dad's job. We moved um, when I was two. And I, yeah, I've moved schools every two years my entire life. No. Um, until Cal, which I was at for three years. I graduated in three years. Um, but yeah, so I've kind of lived all over the world. Um, we were in Hong Kong, Singapore, Hong Kong. And then I ended up going to boarding school in Connecticut. And then my family is in D.C. and New York and L.A. And Idaho was in there in the mix. And then I lived in San Francisco. So amazing, definitely been all over. And I think that's added to the resilience as well. <laughs> totally. How many languages do you speak? Uh, English. That's very embarrassing. <laughs> really? That's I it? I Mandarin for 11 years, which is, and I can pretty much just say ni hao. Um, it's just not your thing? No, I wish it was. But in Hong Kong, when I was living there, it was actually still a British colony. So English was the first language. And then on the island, they speak Cantonese. And yeah. in the schools, they teach Mandarin because that's the language that business has done it. Right. But if you try and speak Mandarin to someone on the island, they'll just respond to you in English. <laughs> oh, wow. So it's about as useful, I say, as knowing Spanish in America at the time. That is no longer the case. It has since changed. But um, unfortunately, it wasn't a need to know to get around, oh, which I think is the most important important motivator in learning a language. Yeah, no, it's true. Um, where can people find you online? 
uh, newknowledge.com. Um, and or and how can they get in touch with you? We, as I said that, I'm like, okay, she doesn't have any social profile. So <laughs> newknowledge.com, an email, or I don't even know. I've never yeah. been faced with this like no social, social media, media yeah. like don't at me. obliteration. I don't <laughs> um, just every, anyone can email me. My email address is Annie at newknowledge.io. Cool. I'm old fashioned. Send yeah. me an email. It's pretty much like an, an old school letter at this point. Good. <laughs> Annie, thank you so much for hanging out with the Women in Tech podcast and for uh, oh, you know, I had one more question when you were talking about moving so much. I'm I'm so glad I remembered it at the last second. What's one tip you can give everybody about how to make new friends? That's a great question. You had to move every two years. That's insane. As a child. I think that gets to another thing, um, which is um, imposter syndrome that people talk a lot about yeah. entrepreneurs. So I, every time I moved and made friends, I just found the coolest kids, whatever place I lived, yeah. and tried to copy them. <laughs> 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 which has like changed like drastically. Like in, in Hong Kong, what was really cool um, was very different than what was really cool in Idaho. Right. So I think that kind of just made me a chameleon of the world and. I think it's just like being vulnerable and yeah. trying to like copy someone that's not yourself. Like, okay, I'm going to be this, you know, country girl now that can jump off a cliff and go right. backpacking. And even though I'm from Hong Kong and don't even own a sweater, yeah, <laughs> like, no, now I'm going to be this, like this badass backpacking girl. And just like kind of being vulnerable like that is the best way to make friends. Um, it's like throwing yourself out there and trying to embrace like what the culture is that you're immersed in and not being like above it, essentially. Totally. Thank you, Annie. Yeah, thank you awesome. so much for having me. Yeah, it's been awesome sharing this conversation with you on the Women in Tech podcast. If you want to connect with more extraordinary women in tech around the world, if you do happen to be on social media, go to womenintechvip.com. It takes you straight to the Facebook group. That's womenintechvip.com. Remember to say hello at Women in Tech Show on social. It feels so weird talking about the social when you have no social on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, women in, at Women in Tech Show. I will talk to you guys, hear you guys, see you guys in the next episode. Bye. Hi, this is Annie Klomhouse, Vice President of Operations at New Knowledge. Based in Austin, Texas, New Knowledge defends your brand against disinformation. You're listening to Women in Tech. Impact Hub here in Austin, Texas has been our home. We want to give a huge thanks to making it possible for us to comfortably meet and interview several inspiring women in tech. They have the most collaborative workspace, incredible events, beautiful design, a hammock in their backyard. What? It's an incredible space. You have to check it out if you're in Austin. Thank you so much for being a part of the Women in Tech journey. Be sure to go to impacthubaustin.com to get your free day of co-working. I want to give a huge thanks to the team at SpyCloud. SpyCloud protects your employee and customer information from breaches and account takeovers. Try SpyCloud's early warning breach detection platform. SpyCloud made it possible for us to meet with several women in tech here in Austin, Texas, and I am so thankful that they have been part of the Women in Tech podcast journey. Get protected today by going to spycloud.com. That's S-P-Y-C-L-O-U-D.com. Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener, go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes.